Hi, everyone. Get ready for the How I Raised It podcast, the show where you get an inside, unfiltered look at how real entrepreneurs raise capital for their businesses. I'm your host, Nathan Beckard, and today's episode is with Bunnam Laskin of Swimply, which is kind of like an Airbnb for swimming pools. You can rent out your neighbor's pools, or if you have a pool, you can rent your pool. It's a brilliant concept. He raised capital from some top VCs, as well as big-name angel investors like the founders of Airbnb, Instacart, Lime, Pinterest, and many others. If you're tuning into this podcast to learn how to raise capital for your business, I've created a super valuable free welcome package for you. It includes a list of 2,500 investors who don't require a warm intro, plus 200 of the most important questions that investors are going to ask you. So this will really help you prepare for your own fundraise. To get access to this, please leave us a nice review in the Apple iTunes store, hit all the stars, and then email us at info at foundersuite.com, and I'll send that to you right away. Last but not least, if you enjoy this conversation and think someone else would too, please share it with them and hit that subscribe button to get all our latest episodes. Thank you. Sit back and enjoy the chat with Bunham. Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Bonham Laskin of Swimply coming to us from Los Angeles. How's your day going? It's doing great. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's jump right into it. What is Swimply? Absolutely. So Swimply is an online marketplace where people that own a swimming pool that don't use it often, but spend thousands of dollars maintaining it, can open it up to their communities um, and families, groups of friends nearby can just reserve their pool by the hour. So you can think of us as like a Airbnb, but for swimming pools. Yeah. Cool. Um, what was the, uh, what was the backstory? How did you come up with this idea? <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I grew up in Israel um, my, uh, until I was 15 years old. Um, my family moved to New Jersey. Um, at the time, we had uh, 11 children in my family. So I was the oldest of 11. Um, I was around uh, 20. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I, was around, I was 15. We, were, we had 11 kids in my family. So we were pretty intense. And then um, when, uh, when they moved here, I went to high school in Miami Beach that year. So um, I wasn't really familiar with how confined to their house they were. And Israel is very at least where we were living, it's a very outdoor experience. Like at six years old, you're pretty much autonomously like walking the streets and uh, you're not really that limited, I would say to your particular street or block. Um, and uh, so I went to high school in Miami beach. And when I graduated, I went to, I went straight to Israel. I was studying for three years um, for a Talmudic law um, bachelor uh, major. And then ultimately um, summer of 2017, uh, summer 2018, my bad. I came home and um, cause my mom had a 12th kid. That's a couple of years later. And uh, the combination of me being home and all to, and the, the new baby was quite intense. And uh, there was no idea of like just walking to the park. Like you needed a car and we were 14 people in my family and there was, we were just pretty much all limited to the house and we never really had means to travel or go to camp. So um, it was pretty intense. And so to the point where I went to my neighbor who owned the pool and she had it for a couple of years and she wasn't, she was a sweet lady, but she figured if she let us use it once, all of us would live in her backyard pretty much 24 seven. Yeah. And so she was pretty protective over it. Um, but I offered to pay her and she said, instead of paying me, why don't you just help me with the expenses? And so we covered 25% of her monthly expenses in exchange. My family would be able to like escape into her backyard when her grandkids were not over. Um, when the rest of the block noticed that, uh, 
uh, the most uh, the lo- the loudest um, family in the block was being accommodated by this host. Uh-huh. Um, they were intrigued, and within a week and a half, she made a group chat, and she had six other fa- she had five other families, six families total, each paying her twenty five percent of her expenses. So, oh, wow. um, when something that was costing her money was generating one hundred and fifty percent of the costs, and that was giving her a profit, that was my Eureka moment. That you know, obviously. Uh, you have a small percentage of the population that owns all these incredible spaces. You have everyone else that desires them, but you know either doesn't achieve that level of economical privilege or geographically it's not possible for them to expand that way. And so what if I can just democratize these spaces and open it up to the communities? I'd be generating revenue that otherwise would uh, not exist, and I'd be giving people experiences on a local level um, that would improve their quality of day-to-day life. And so I dropped out of school. Um, decided I'm not going to go back. I decided I'm, I went on Google Earth. I found 80 swimming pools. I knocked on 80 doors, spoke to all 80 hosts, um, 80 pool owners, I should say. Four of them agreed to, at the time, this was still in 2018, uh, be on my hotline. Obviously, you can't put up a website that quickly. And so I got these four hosts to list on Google all their information on Google Sheets. And then I'd put out flyers around town. Hey, looking for a vacation in Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, call. And so people would call me and then I'd call the owner and then I'd call you back and coordinate availability, charge people over square, and then I'd deliver checks bi-weekly to the hosts. Um, and it really had a really quick, quick, phenomenal impact where like it just grew like incredibly quickly on a hyper-local level because when you book a Swimply, you're always with friends or your family. When you're done, you're sharing where the experience itself. And so people are telling people about it. They're mm-hmm. posting about it on social media. And so those four pools grew to close to a hundred in that one summer. And uh, we did like 30 grand in, in revenue. And for me, that was it. And so like I was sold on the, on the concept. Uh, we uh, went from there, ultimately. Uh, we raised a seed, pre-seed round a couple of months later, a million two, and launched Swimply in 2019. And then was mom disappointed that you, you're not becoming a rabbi? I'm assuming the study of Talmudic law is on the path to becoming a rabbi. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. So for my community, your career choices really are to either like study Talmud forever and become a rabbi. Or if you're like kind of rebellious, you can like go into real estate. And if you're really rebellious, you're going to like a proper college and you're like looking for like a career in like, I don't know, law or medicine or an accountant. So when I wasn't doing any of those things and I was uh, starting a business, going like launching a startup, uh-huh. um, that was um, a learning curve and across the board. They were definitely pretty disappointed um, at first. Um, they would have been disappointed if I would have chosen to go into real estate or college. They were disappointed and thought I was crazy by um, actually choosing what I ended up doing. That's funny. Not to get too off topic, but is that is that the Orthodox... Ju- uh, Judaism? Uh, yeah, yeah. All Orthodox. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. So interesting. And then I assume kind of where you left off with that story, I assume 2020 hits and, you know, things just start to go crazy because everyone needs to get out of the house and right. I mean, perfect tailwinds for, for your type of business as pandemic mm-hmm. hits or what? Yeah. I mean, so COVID was a bit of a double-edged sword for us anyway. Mm-hmm. So we raised a million dollars. We launched Swimply in 2019. Um, we're still operating, like there's no in-house engineers. So I bring on a co-founder. Um, he was the former CEO of Twillery. He had a lot more experience, I would say, mm-hmm. um, and like just building up an organization. This was my first job ever. So I never made a dollar outside of Swimply, still true to date. Um, and so um, 
who became like my bigger brother, my older brother and the concept. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, uh, simply grew, I think like we, we, we grew pretty quickly, like even in 2019, before the pandemic, uh, we went from like 30 K to like 300, mm. um, K in revenue. Um, and those, uh, and again, all organically, just essentially just people just telling people and people going on simply and not liking the search results. And so they tell their friends that have pools to list their pools so they can book it from them. And so it's pretty powerful that way, but a big part of our revenue came from pool parties and photo shoots, swimming mm-hmm. lessons, things we didn't even forecast. It was built for families. And so we saw these other um, use cases coming on board. And so we started like pivoting quickly pricing wise and product wise to um, uh, accommodate these different flows and these different needs. And then right when we finished building it, like, so there it's, so it's ready for families and so it's ready for larger groups and parties. Like it was built for like five to seven people and 40 people are trying to book a pool. Mm. Um, that's when COVID hit. So like, right when we built it for, uh, start hosting these larger groups, you know, um, most uh-huh. of it was decimated. So it was, um, it was around like, like pool parties were around like 40% of our bookings. And we just lost that entire use case when COVID mm-hmm. hit and we lost like 15% of our hosts. So COVID seemed pretty dire, um, at first. And then we really leaned into making the company, the perfect contact free escape. Mm-hmm. And when you started emailing journalists and offering them the perfect contact free escape. Yeah. And they, uh, we also aired on, um, uh, on shark tank. Um, okay. so between the journalists and we told the journalists, Hey, we were on shark tank and we're the perfect contact free escape. And if you guys want to sign up for this pretty wild experience, we got a lot of takers and, um, we just blew up on we've got a ton of press just around that perfect contact free escape which even though we didn't get any of the larger gmv bookings we did get a, a whole lot of families to start, start trying us for the first time let's let's go down that path for a minute that rabbit hole of shark tank so talk about that how did you how do you get on shark tank first of all i don't think we've had anyone else who's been on shark tank so how do you get on it how did it go uh did you get a shark and any tips for people who want to get on shark tank or yeah. yeah so they wrecked us like totally <laughs> smoked me on the show. Um, we, they, they actually reached out to us. Um, they're just looking for like, I think like pretty intriguing concepts to put on yeah. their show. And we were obviously a cool uh, concept and a young founder and probably good for television and whatnot. And so uh, but they did think we were out of our mind they, throughout the entire process. So they reached out to us and then you have to send in a video and okay. uh, once you, uh, about your company and pitching them, they want to make sure like your TV ready. So like once they like you and they say you're on to the next level, every week you're meeting with their producers and they're training you about the pitch, you know, that story like, Hey sharks. And then that entire part scripted. The rest of the show is not scripted, but that uh-huh. first pitch, yeah. they're like micromanaging a little bit. So you're meeting with them every week about the words that you're going to open up with your offer, um, uh, how much money you're asking for. And then like the props and all that stuff. Like we went pretty all out. We, um, got like, we built a pool in the on set and like oh, we had this whole curtain and the whole big spiel, as you would say, uh, we got like Alicia Keys' music video people to build our set over there. And so they were excited about having us on air. They did, like, we knew we weren't getting a, a deal for being totally transparent. We, at that point, I think we had like a hundred K in revenue and we were claiming a $6 million valuation, Okay, uh-huh. which if you're in tech and you understand like scalable, like solutions, then that's not so wild. But if you're on Shark Tank, where they're mostly used to like uh, cookie cutter businesses, um, it's not, uh, 
it's definitely a much more uphill. And so we kind of understood that they asked us to lower it. We weren't going to, cause we already raised a million dollars at that valuation. So we couldn't, if we wanted to do. And so we knew we were going to get smoked. And so we pretty much just did everything to make it a good episode. So they air us. And so wow. uh, happens to be, we got like, it, it's like two hours and they aired like eight, nine minutes. Okay. Most of the yeah. time, most uh-huh. founders that don't get a deal would tell you like, Oh, we did a lot better job. They cut out all the good parts and they just yeah. made us look bad by us. It was very intense and really aggressive. They actually made me look much better than they could have. Um, uh, in the way that, in the way they put it, like I was uh, pretty chutzpahdik, as you would say. I don't know uh, what that means, but uh, chutzpahdik is uh, yeah. It's um, some people will know what it means. It's uh, it's like um, I just say I had a bit more audacity. Full then, of chutzpah. Yeah, chutzpah, okay. yeah. They, then, then they probably forecasted. And so a lot of really unique conversations, um, specifically with me and Mark Cuban, um, uh, that were pretty awesome. Uh, but uh, we didn't get a deal, but it aired. It actually aired March 13th of 2020. Oh, wow. Uh, they let us know like two weeks in advance that it's going to air. So we have to get everything prepped up from a... a Dial up your servers. Yeah, like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, and, uh, and we're no strangers to shutdowns either. Like we had all these spikes that shut us down. Um, and so uh, we had to really prep for that. And we aired March 13th of 2020. That's also when most lockdowns went into effect. Yeah. So that was right. like a big like bust on that end. Um, but we did get a whole, it did get us a lot of obviously awareness. We didn't get a lot of bookings immediately, but we did get a whole lot of people signing up for the wait list and stuff like that. And just joining but not actually converting because a owners were at that point in time we were nobody knew what was going on and like what the environment would look like and so it was very interesting but we were able to use that momentum and leverage it later with the um journalists and and people saying oh i heard about that on shark tank and so we had that initial touch point um, yeah capitalized on it later that's fascinating oh fun stuff okay Let's let's go to the angel round and pick pick apart that one a little bit. Was this just a friends and family, or um, you know, how'd you kind of put that one together? Um, it's yeah. Like, so yeah, go ahead. Totally. Um, so that one was it wasn't friends and family. I would say uh, most of the word startup doesn't really exist where I come from. Like uh, even uh, I, I learned the term startup from one friend I knew that left a community, and uh, I asked him about like, hey, I'm thinking of like making this available everywhere. How do I even go about that? And uh, he kind of educated me on most of the phraseology. Um, he mm. actually told me that he's shutting down his startup. I have an engineering team that you can take over now that you... Oh, wow. uh, and so um, that was kind of how I got my hands on engineers and just got really hyper obsessed with product, um, just managing them. But uh, where I come from, you had to... Edu- there were there was money around to like pitch people, but there was... Uh, you did, most people were not used to um, high risk investments or tech or anything like that. They're more investing in real estate than more yeah. conventional um, businesses. And so I, so that was pretty tough. I'm going to say I probably pitched like a hundred people. Um, eventually we got, I got my first check from a uh, Harbor group, which was a real estate company that saw us as a good partnership to monetize their um, assets even further. And so once we got their backing, I was able to use that initial, I guess, um, uh, validation to just pit, just keep going, just networking like crazy. Went to every single possible event that can go that I knew there would be people that were open to investing. And eventually just um, from Harbor Group, we got another real estate company, Philip Capital, that also invested another quarter million. And uh, once I had those two, um, the rest just came from other 
uh, high net worth individuals. So you're going around in New Jersey, New York area, going to pitch demo days, pitch competitions, whatever you could kind of squeeze your way into basically. Yeah. I wouldn't even say I was as fancy as going to like demo days. Or pitch. I was literally just uh, meeting people and like, Hey, this is my idea. Do you know anyone that would be interested in hearing me out? And so, and um, we have like Shabbat meals every Friday night in my custom, like you, you like have um, you get together with other families and stuff like that. And you just spend Friday night together. And so I would use those as networking events to uh-huh. <laughs> introduce me to more people that would want to hear me out. And so one by one and they, and every person that rejected me also, I made them introduce me to somebody else. I'm like, Hey, you must know people. Um, even if this isn't for you. And so really pretty much just had no, wasn't shy about it. Just drove the world crazy. Well, your concept is easy to understand, right? I mean, it's a, it's a simple, I think you don't have to be in tech or software or, you know, to understand what you're doing. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Like it's an easy thing to grasp pretty instantly. So that probably helps, right? Um, it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't help that the investors at the time never saw themselves as end users, right? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. We we had not to go off topic. We had neighbor.com on the show, which rents out people's garages, yeah, right? Yeah. Kind of same concept. Uh, and and they've raised a bunch of money and on Dreesen Horowitz and others. So, you know, it's, you're definitely seeing your model um, kind of blowing up, which also helps probably. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. 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 All right. Let's move on. Unless there are any other stories about the angel round. Um, I guess let's talk about the, the next round would be series A. Yeah. So uh, our next round was, um, so yeah, so uh, 2020, we grew pretty aggressively. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we went from like uh, 150K in revenue to like a few million. Um, and then again, all pretty much all organically. And then um, and through press and word of mouth. And um, ultimately, and also a really cool thing we discovered in 2020 was owners or doing their own marketing or one of those like really unique marketplaces where the supply side is marketing to their own um, communities and neighbors. And so a lot of people were just using us as a transaction and scheduling platform and generating oh, uh-huh. revenue, which is really powerful. And so um, we grew, we came up for air, uh, no pun intended. And we had a couple of term sheets for us. So that part was pretty, I would say seamless almost. And then uh, we had, uh, we raised $10 million from Norwest and the company was still just me and my co-founder and this team in Ukraine. And I was doing all the customer support um, ultimately. And then uh, we just uh, used that to begin building the organization. So we brought in our first head of engineering to bring engineering in-house, start building a growth team. Um, our first employee was actually a VC that we pitched whose fund didn't want to write us a check, but she was really passionate about what we were building. And so she jumped ship to join us as our employee number one. And uh, she just built out the entire internal operational organization from customer support to HR of the company. You, um, you raised $10 million series a, you had you and your co-founder and a team in Ukraine and you raised from, you know, pretty well-known VCs did, did uh, the VCs like object or have any issue with you having this like offshore team in Ukraine as your, your team? Was that an issue? Um, yeah, I was actually, um, I'm going to say that there are a couple of key concerns with um, investors had. One of them was the fact that none of us were technical. Yep. Um, so that was definitely uh, an overlap. So it, to some VCs, that was a non-starter. Uh, to some VCs, it was really, um, it was a solvable solution. Yeah. Especially at our stage with our product market fit. 
if we were in that product market fit, we think it would probably would have been a, that sentence across the board. But because we had pretty powerful product market fit, it seemed like a cavity that we could fill. And so that was ultimately uh, the story that we told. Yeah, that makes sense. On the Series A, I am looking at something on TechCrunch. You, you had a bunch of kind of high profile angels too. Poshmark founder, uh, someone high level, Airbnb, Ancestry, et cetera. How'd you kind of wrangle in these, you know, name brand angels? Yeah. So uh, when we were doing the Series A, um, that was my uh, second time to San Francisco. Um, and so I slept on the friend's couch for like two months while we were just dealing with all those term sheets and the negotiations and, uh-huh. the, uh, and getting that first one. And then now you just never, like the famous term, you either get none or more than one. Right. And so, uh, during that process, I was just driving the world crazy again for advice on the whole thing. And through that process, um, I connected with, uh, somebody who was nice enough to connect me with the founder of Poshmark, who's since became uh, Manish Chandra. He's, he's since become like a, probably my closest mentor and advisor, mm-hmm. um, I would say. And so he helped me navigate that and just uh, pretty much the same strategy with uh, those Shabbat meals, getting to those initial angels using uh, just driving the world nuts as far as introducing me to people that I can become a sponge with. And that was, I think, like probably the most useful thing for me at that at, at that stage and since the start is just not being afraid or shy of asking for advice and asking favors and getting people to introduce you. And it's shocking how willing people are to help you and support you if you're doing something that they believe in and you're doing it in a way that they're, that they're proud to support. And so, yeah. um, so, so you're out in San Francisco holding, you know, Shabbat meals and, and kind of inviting people uh, to these and, uh, I'm assuming it's not just for for Orthodox folks because Manish Chandra doesn't sound like an Orthodox name. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So they they do this, this wasn't through Shabbat meals. These were okay. now at this point we graduated from Shabbat meals to more networking events and meeting people and asking people advice and um, ultimately uh, even just from <laughs> interestingly enough I got a decent amount of doors open from doing uh, reference checks on VCs. They would introduce me to CEOs and they and I'd become friends with them and they would introduce me to more people that they think I should connect with. And so that was actually. Talk about that for a sec. Go, go through that whole loop and cycle and in a way maybe that someone else could try and replicate that playbook. Cause I think that's really interesting. Um, so referring specifically to um, like founder intros. Yeah. So you would, you would be talking to a VC, you tell this VC, I want to do a reference check. Can you give me the names of three or four founders yeah. invested and you start calling them and then, yeah, maybe, is that how it Yeah, works? so, yeah, so, I mean, uh, that wasn't the game plan, I would say. I was looking for references and just, because, uh, I mean, I, I was I wasn't uh, blind to the idea that whoever we'd be partnering up with, we'd be part- we'd be having a partnership, hopefully longer than most marriages in America. And so, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was actually something that was deeply important to me to talk to founders and what their relationship was with the fund. And so they would introduce me to two or three founders that they invested in. I would talk to them for quite a while. And there's a strong, I would say camaraderie founder to founder sort of conversation that you have. um, That's pretty authentic and transparent. And, um, and throughout that I would develop these relationships and they would introduce me to other people that I should talk to with maybe more similar business models. Um, And uh, ultimately I wouldn't end a conversation without making sure that like uh, there's a way for me to expand my network with them. I would say, especially coming from where I did, where there wasn't much of a network. 
would it, and would it be as simple as you know at the end of the coffee or, or zoom or whatever just asking for two or three other people they could uh introduce you to or connect you with simple as that yeah or? i mean i i would bombard with i would definitely have a lot of questions and so generally if it would either lead towards okay i actually know somebody that can probably help you more with these specific yeah. questions um if it didn't, it would end with, Hey, I'm in town actually for the next week or so. Does anyone else you think I should meet while I'm down here? Um, I would really appreciate it. And then it would always, there's always, there's always somebody that's, uh, um, that came from that. Yeah. 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 No, I like it. I like it. Um, cool. And then, uh, you have a, a newer round. Um, want to talk about, is it series B after that or what? Yeah. So uh, we raised 10 million. Uh, we built out the team. Um, we went from two people to like 30 people. Um, and then we continued to grow um, pretty quickly. And then uh, we decided after this past summer um, that we would go out and raise again uh, for two reasons. Um, reason we decided to raise again, one was from the start, pools were not the vision. Like we're not really passionate about getting people wet per se, as much as we are, um, (laughs) like making people's lives bigger and larger and turning these like underutilized assets into these joy driving money creating spaces. And so we, um, wanted to, we, we, we already saw the tremendous product market fail. We began to understand the levels of the business and we wanted to immediately take our, what we understood from this hourly consumer behavior to start expanding that into other verticals. so tennis courts, large backyards, basketball courts, home gyms. And uh, so we wanted to begin moving in that direction. And also we started facing similar issues to what Airbnb and Uber faced in the early days and still face um, with regulatory mm-hmm. um, sort of, uh, I guess you would say feedback. And so townships would start um, trying to regulate us. And so beginning to develop a team to combat that mm-hmm. um, or and begin developing partnerships and communicating with them would require um, its own organization. And so we decided to raise again. And uh, this round mainly came from those high net worth, those high value, I guess, angels, you would say that, that joined us in the series A. And so they, um, a lot, at this point, um, I had good relationships with every one of them. And so they would all, and they all understood the business pretty deeply just because of how often that would drive them crazy. And so yeah. <laughs> when it came down to raising, it was this, instant like alignment around our needs. And so they were able to do these really warm intros. And so we closed our, this next round, um, pretty quickly. We actually just signed, um, uh, we signed that term sheet like a, a month ago and we just closed it recently. And so there's a, that, but that entire process took like three weeks for us just because wow. we, we had that really meaningful leg in with, um, uh, and, with previous founders. So is it all, so, so series B, uh, how much was it? And was it all angels and no VCs in series B? Uh, the introductions came from the angels. It was all VCs. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was all VCs, but, um, we got these, we were able to skip a lot of steps cause we, were, we wanted to move really fast. And when we had like, you know, the founder of Poshmark, like vouch for both yeah. myself and business and where it was, we were able to move really quickly. And so almost every conversation we had, um, at the series, um, B was, um, came from an, an angel that was already invested in the company yep. or from an earlier VC. That makes sense. Um, how much and who led it? Uh, so we raised 30 million mm. and it was led by Mayfield Ventures. 
followed, uh, they were the, they were the ones that led actually the first check in Poshmark as okay. well mm-hmm. as, uh, the series A for Lyft. And so they understood a lot of our challenges. They understood yeah. our journey. Um, yeah, obviously we're really close with my mentor at the time, um, who still is. And so this is a, it was, it was a, there's a lot of instant synergy and connection that we were able to just uh, connect over re- in record time. And so we were able to move that forward. Um, we have following, uh, the round was followed on by GGV. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, Ensemble Ventures. Who was that last one? What was that? And, was ens- Ensemble Ventures. Ensemble, okay. They're based out of Austin, Texas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, obviously follow on from our original funds, uh, Norwest Ventures and Trust Ventures. And Trust Ventures is actually a regulatory fund. So their whole value add to founders is that they have an in-house regulatory team that can help you navigate. And from the get-go, we knew that that was going to be um, something we're going to have to deal with. And so we partnered up with them at the Series A. And, Interesting. Uh, That's what their whole thing is they invest in regulated or companies are going to face regulation, basically. Exactly. A, yeah. Very interesting focus. Smart. Um, did you like for this series, B, did you run a process or run an auction and talk to a lot of investors or was it just ones that your angels kind of shepherd you toward, which, you know? Yeah. yeah. So funny enough on that end. So we don't, uh, I think they're, um, they're calling this, I believe they're going to call this one like the A plus round. Okay. Because it, it, it's such close proximity to the A. It doesn't really matter in today's like world. So I, I'm uh, yet to see what they're, they're actually going to put out there. But um, I think we're, uh, they're getting prob- probably not going to call this to be just because as a company, we're so, we were two people 10 months ago. Yeah. And so we're probably more going to name it after where the company is architecturally over the amount of money that we raised. And um, I think we're, we're going to do that just as like, just a sake of like transparency as far as like the company's age um, with us, we did make a plan. Uh, we got together with our, our lead partner uh, the series a, and we did develop a more methodical plan for how we were going to go about pitching. And then uh, it just kind of totally a uh, man plans and God laughs. Cause uh-huh. like <laughs> we had a, we had this plan and it was pretty like, I would say intelligent. And we had a lot of meetings about who we're going to talk to in what order. And then uh, one of the first VCs was pretty much just started giving us terms like six minutes into the conversation and just uh-huh. the entire thing. And then um, everything just kind of like, um, it was a good problem to have. We had to like deal with how we're going to, we had all these people that we planned on talking to and now we don't have the time. And so how do we squeeze it all in? And so it was a bit, had, it had its own set of uh, um, arrangement situations, but um, uh, we did, we did go out it with a plan. That was, we definitely did spend a lot of time yeah. making a schedule quote unquote. Interesting. Um, I like that man plans got left. Is that a, is that a Talmudic uh, saying somewhere, or is it just? It a, must be. It must be. <laughs> I learned yeah. a word yesterday. I was reading an article about um, raising capital for venture funds. Kushia, Kushia, Kushia. What? Uh, I don't even know. Is that Hebrew? I don't. It, it is, and I'm probably not even saying it right. It's a. Uh, Hebrew word with no English equivalent. It's a kind of a, <laughs> a, a difficult question based on an understanding. Oh, a kasha. I, okay. Kasha. It, it just means like, uh, uh, I don't know why it doesn't have an English equivalent. 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 I would say it just means question. It just means a good question. But with a good, like well-informed question, right? And Yeah. yeah. It's a good, like you've a good used question, questions. but the intent of the question isn't really an answer. It's more like, this is why... 
No, it's like a it's like a question. It's a question followed with a verdict in one. Oh, interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, it, it <laughs> sounds like you've used like you were saying you've come to a lot of these meetings uh, and networking with questions, which then yeah. lead to networking. And I, I just kind of putting this all in my brain together. Um, really good. And then, so I guess this will be to expand into, like you said, other categories, tennis courts. Are you already starting to get into these other markets or that's, that's the plan? Yeah. So, I mean, so we, we had a landing page just to test out whether people are interested, uh, like how, or how interested they would be and what they'd be interested in. Um, and ultimately what we're focusing on is specifically space that brings people joy and our thesis is that every passion needs a space. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what we want to solve for. We want to take people's passions and put them where they, um, can actually flourish and nurture and be nurtured, whether the passion is gathering or playing or competing or anything. That's where we want to, we want to find you home by the hour ultimately for that passion. And so we're never going to get into, um, conventional utilitarian use cases, uh, parking or Right. Uh, or accommodations or stuff like that. We're always going to remain based on people's passions. And um, we put up a, wait, a waiting list to see what people are really interesting, interested in. And we had a few thousand people sign up for it just through Swimply. Yeah. And now we're beginning to launch it market by market. Uh, Los Angeles is going to be the first place that um, you'll be able to escape locally and other spaces that are not necessarily aquatic. Here's my tip for you. You can take it... Uh take it or leave it, but get into pickleball courts. Dude, you have no idea. I was just discussing that um, <laughs> with the team today because they, for the wait list, they were, they only had tennis as an option. Uh-huh. And I'm like, we got to add um, that option there. And they're like, how big is it now? And I'm like, guys, it's telling you it's skyrocketing. We had this whole conversation literally this morning about adding that as an option for people to list and sign up for. So it's huge. Oh, cool. It's supposedly the fastest growing sport in the um, United States. I just <laughs> played two and a half hours this morning, three hours yesterday. My legs are cramping as I'm interviewing you. Um, <laughs> and apparently like, like Kim, I think it was Kim Kardashian, like even celebrities in LA where you are, are building pickleball courts on their homes. So if you could have, if I could go rent out, you know, Kim Kardashian's pickleball court for an hour or two, how much fun would that be? Like I'd pay. I'd pay a lot for that. So yeah, anyway. okay. I'll try to hook you up. I'll see if I can make, <laughs> I can pull some strings. Yeah. Um, very cool. I won't keep you much longer. Um, question I, I love to ask every, everyone, if you could kind of rewind the clock and um, give your younger self some advice, either about raising capital or just getting the startup going, what would that be? Or just any other just general advice or tips for, you know, founders that you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest thing that I would have done differently is I probably um, would have launched with a technical co-founder mm. that would have saved. Like I, it's not an, it's not really a nice to have as much as it's um, I would say should have been a prerequisite um, for us. Um, so that's definitely um, we're still paying the, the price for that. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, what I wouldn't do differently actually, and uh what I actually tell as many people as I can is um, it, this may sound a bit controversial, but like for me, um, like uh, ignorance was incredibly bliss mm. because it was so difficult. Like the, this entire journey, like I'm obviously summarizing it pretty quickly, but there were a lot of like no's and rejections, even just to get started. Um, when I knocked on those 80 doors, there were 76 people that slammed their door in my face and called me a maniac <laughs> yeah. or, or whatnot. And, 
there was like, if I would have known everything that it would have taken to get to where we are today, I doubt I ever would have gotten started. Um, and even getting to step one, going to step, if I knew everything that like it took to get to step two and step three, I, I don't think I ever would have done. And I kind of was just learning like crazy and constantly asking questions, just nonstop asking questions, getting more conversations with people that were smarter than me, that I respected, and that I can just dive deep into with um, getting them on the same side of the table as me. And then just being able to bring support. Like um, I was learning things just as far as my headlights led me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's ultimately, um, like, uh, that, that it wasn't planned. That was just me not knowing anything whatsoever yeah. about starting a business. But I would hope that if I were to start it, if I, like, uh, I almost feel like my next company, um, is almost going to be harder just because of everything that I know today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously hopefully I make a lot less mistakes, but, um, it is such an incredibly difficult journey that like, um, figuring out just what you need to know now to move forward was so powerful for me retroactively. Yeah. Interesting. Um, excellent. If people want to learn more, it's swimply.com, right? Yeah. S W I M P L Y. And what actually, what markets are you in? Are, are you pretty all over the U S already or, um, where are you? Yeah. We're in like 120 different cities. Uh, we have grown mainly organically still so far. And so we are available everywhere that, um, has a swimming pool, um, where our biggest markets are that we're more concentrated in is, um, like Los Angeles, the yeah. New York area, Austin, Texas, and Portland, actually. So that's where we're putting more of a focus on. Yeah. Uh, cool. Anything you want to plug? You mentioned you're hiring, uh, anything you want to kind of give a shout out or yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously we're very excited, um, as we enter this next phase for swimply and we're just, um, looking to build a fire team, um, filled with rock stars are looking to like change the world and bring happiness to more communities. So we're hiring pretty much across the board from engineering to growth, um, to operations and sales, uh, where you can be reached, um, at, on our career page, that's something.com forward slash careers. Okay. Yeah. Did you keep the, I'm just like, just curious, did you keep the Ukrainian development team or did you like move to an in-house team afterward? Uh, we slowly phased them out. Yeah. So we, we kept them. And then as we hired more engineers, we fired one of theirs and, excellent um but this is fun i need to check this out with my kids this summer we uh i I should have discovered you guys sooner because this is (laughs) perfect and and again once you get into pickleball courts i'm your i'm your most loyal customer i'll be all over this (laughs) that's amazing nathan um (laughs) thank you so much for having me yep thanks and we'll catch you after your your next round whatever that is and see how how the story has evolved how about that yeah incredible thank you so much okay thank you over now